Welcome to episode 20 of Dads from the Crypt, the Tales from the Crypt podcast. My name is Jason. I'm your host tonight. I'm joined by J- uh, Mondo. Hi. And Jody. Hello. Y- you almost switched things up there a little bit. That I was going to throw off our entire episode. I know. I messed up. I could have messed up the whole flow. Um, how are we doing tonight? I- I'm doing uh, okay. I will be at the airport in about nine hours to uh, start on a nine-day uh work trip to portland and to south san francisco so it's going to be a long nine days or 10 days before thanksgiving for me but you know what it's okay that's sometimes what you, you got to do what are you drinking well my, i am drinking my favorite cocktail it is uh, rye bourbon with cranberry juice and then uh, a little bit of ginger beer on top of it uh, that sounds delicious and, and it's usually yeah. about i don't know one part bourbon to three parts cranberry juice and then enough ginger beer for some carbonation and some spice and i will say though it's got to be ginger beer um no, gi- ginger ale just doesn't do the trick it's got to be a good yeah. spicy ginger beer yeah i learned this about the difference between ginger ale and ginger beer where ginger ale is just syrup with ginger flavoring mm-hmm. and carbonation where ginger beer is actually fermented ginger it is and um also the quality does matter like uh one thing people don't really think about in cocktails is the mixer right uh, but the mixer is probably 75, maybe 50, 66%, whatever. It's a big portion of the drink, right? Um, so I want to give a shout out to Fever Tree Mixers. If you guys uh, ever see those on the shelves, they do tonic water, they do like a, a grapefruit mixer, and they do a ginger beer. All fantastic. And once you try them, you will not go back to your regular, you know, like 99 cent bottle of Kroger tonic water. <laughs> awesome. Jody, you got anything going on? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, we're already gearing up for uh, doing Thanksgiving stuff in a week or so. So, uh, you know, just trying to catch up on all the work I'm behind on before we take a break. Right. Uh, and actually, we would like to wish a uh, good Thanksgiving to all of our uh, listeners. If you're traveling, hope you travel safe. And we're thank you for uh, spending time with us. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. And if, you, and, and if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, I, I get that too. And, and hopefully you just get some time to hang out with your family or hang out with loved ones or do something you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At least take a day off. Yeah. Take some time. And I, I worked for a long time at, uh, in retail and uh, I had to work pretty much every Thanksgiving. So if I'm thankful for anything, it's uh, not having to work on Thanksgiving anymore. Yeah. But for all of the, all you guys out there in hospitality and stuff that work on Thanksgiving, like Thank, yeah, you. thank you. Thank you. And, yeah, and a absolutely. lot of or, or our, um, you know, first responders, whatever, like whatever you do that, that takes you, that makes you work on the holidays. Like, um, thank you for what you do. And I, I mean that sincerely because I've been there and it's, it's, it's tough mm-hmm. and we salute you. Okay. With that, let's roll into our episode tonight. We'll be discussing Corman's calamity, which premiered on June 26, 1990. Jody, give us a plot synopsis. All right. I have a lot of notes on this one. Cause there's a lot happening here. All right, we open with the Crypt Keeper drawing a picture of the Crypt Keeper drawing a picture of the Crypt Keeper drawing a picture of the Crypt Keeper, so on and so forth. Uh, so this is a real meta-ish episode, and it starts starts that right from the very beginning. Um, so when we get into our actual story, we meet a man named Jim Corman. Jim Corman is an artist for the Tales from the Crypt comic book. Uh, his co-workers are complaining that he's too slow with coming up with story ideas, getting his drawings done. And then his wife shows up and his wife in this episode, I don't, does she ever have a name? I don't know. Mildred. Mildred. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Mildred shows up pounding on the door and she stomps in and yells at him for working on a Saturday and then starts accusing him of cheating with the secretaries at work who aren't at work. Then uh, right there in the office, she yells about how he can't give her children and uh, that he's not taking his fertility pills he says they're experimental and they're having side effects. They're making his imagination fertile. And then uh, she says something along the lines of, well, you're stuck with me. 
till death do us part and stomps out of the the place foreshadow yeah uh so uh and then as uh she leaves he gets frustrated and he starts drawing this crazy monster that he has he's kind of had like artist block and after fighting with her he draws this monster so then we cut to the laundromat jim and a lady are there and they're kind of eyeing each other and he leaves and the power goes out in the laundromat and then this guy shows up and tells the lady that he's the one who cut the power pulls out a knife and says you know he's gonna hurt her find out she's a cop she tries to take him down with some karate moves and he gets back up and about that time a monster crawls out of the washer and uh, attacks him and bites uh, his head off, uh, leaving his head down on the floor. And the monster looks su- suspiciously like the monster that Jim had drawn in the scene previous. So then the other cops show up to investigate and they treat her like she's crazy. But then there's, there's apparently been this string of strange sightings of monsters and things like that. Uh, as she's walking away, she sees the Tales from the Crypt comic that Jim had illustrated the cover, and it's got that monster on it that she saw, and then she notices that there's a bunch of other comics on this rack, and they all have monsters that have been recently reported. Um, and then she sees Corman's name in the corner, so she goes to hunt him down. Jim's back in the office. He's drawing a monster, and you see a shadow start to appear behind him, and he crumples up the paper, and the shadow disappears. So obviously there's something connected to his drawings in real life. He leaves the work and he gets in his car and the cop is waiting in his back seat, just kind of jumps out and surprises him. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the best move, but she said she wanted to talk to him in private because she wanted to say that all of his drawings seem to be coming to life. And that's not the kind of thing you talk about around other people. She shows him news, the newspaper uh, where her description of the monster was in there police sketches that look like the monsters that are in his comics. And so she says, I think they're coming to life. I want to do an experiment. So they go back into the Tales from the Crypt office. She tells him to draw a monster, and he draws like a zombie-looking creature coming out of a refrigerator. He said, I expect the monster to show up somewhere in real life. And then in the middle of all this, uh, Jim decides now's the time. He makes a move on her. And at first she says no because you draw these horrible things. He goes, I'll start drawing romance comics. And then they kiss. And uh, so she leaves and says she'll call if she hears anything. Then we cut to like a, a junkyard or like an abandoned building where some kids are playing army. And uh, they tell this nerdy kid he can't play with them. And uh, so the nerdy kid kind of walks off and he sees an old refrigerator and it's shaking. And he calls the other kids over. And about that time, the refrigerator opens and the monster that Jim had drawn steps out and scares them all away. So back at the office again. I told you there's a lot happening. We're, we're like fourth location here at this point. Back at the office, uh, the uh, cop calls Jim, and they're talking on the phone and flirting a little bit. And he turns around and sees his wife sitting there wearing this really intense like hat and dress combination. I don't know what's up with it. There's a giant hat. It's got a big flower on it, blue and white stripes. There's, there's a lot going on. Um, and uh, she caught him on this phone call with the cop saying he wants to meet her somewhere. She said, I've got a surprise for you out in the car. And so she stomps out of the, the office. And while she's gone, he draws her as a monster with that same outfit on. She comes back in and pulls a gun on him, points it in his face. And then she looks over and sees the drawing. And uh, she's like, oh, you drew me as a monster. Why would you do this? Is this why you see how you see me? And about that time, the monster version of her walks in. <laughs> it's really funny because she doesn't seem all that concerned with it. She's not surprised by it. She's not scared by it. She's like, hey, what are you doing? And she starts insulting it because that's her way of interacting with the world. And the monster uh, comes after her and uh, she shoots it and the monster attacks her. And Jim sees them fighting on the floor and just kind of slides his way out the door um, about that time, the lady cop shows up all dressed up for a date and, uh, she hears all the noise and he was like, Oh, we're just redecorating. She's not a very good cop. She's not very curious, but he said, we're just redecorating. And, uh, so they leave and they have kind of a romantic dinner, which he had illustrated earlier. And, uh, she asked, are you married? Which is a little late in the game to ask that question, but she asked, <laughs> are you married? And he said, it's not anymore. And that's how we end. 
Thank you, Jody. Mondo, what do you think of this? Man, I love this episode. And, and first of all, do you think the idea of Corman's his name's Corman, obviously? Um, that's got to be a, a, a th- it's got to be a, an homage to, uh, to to Roger Corman, especially with kind of the goofy um, creature effects. And when I say goofy, I mean that with the most love in my heart. I can possibly mm-hmm. mean that with. Um, I, I really did love this episode. I love. Give me a rubber monster. Like I love kaiju films, and I'm a happy guy. Um, I also think. Um, what is it, that zombie that comes out of the fridge when the kids are bullying yeah. the other kid? Um, it, it remind me of the Tar Man from uh, Return mm. of the Living Dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan. It's Harry Anderson also, come on, like just, just great in this in this uh, episode as just kind of the geeky artist. You know, just a good, he seems like a good guy. And he's just married to this battle axe. And, uh, you know, like, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, like, dude, like, why don't you just get divorced? Like, you, you're allowed to get a divorce. Um, I was, I, he, you can always just walk away from these relationships. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, I love this episode, and I didn't remember it that well. Uh, this is one of those, when I saw the name, I was like, what? What is this episode even? And then when I watched it, I remembered it and probably liked it more now than I liked it when I was younger. Um, I also love, uh, I love the soundtrack to this because it's just goofy. It's. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a bad way. It fits the episode perfectly. Oh. It's yeah. got those nice little peaks and valleys where it's doing this is kind of like comedic soundtrack. Well, some pretty bad things are actually happening when you think about it. And then, yeah, the very end. I love the interaction between the uh, uh, his his drawing of his wife is about to attack him until she insults it. <laughs> And then when he's leaving the office, I love how they do the shadow effect. We see the shadows of the window, like the old detective movies, where it's just them fighting. And honestly, we never know who gets the better of who. So maybe he is still married. Because <laughs> I think Mildred is probably a pretty uh, resourceful lady there, though. Um, and, and again, this is also one of those classic uh, classic endings where uh, I guess the evildoer gets hers. I guess you really can't call Harry uh, an evildoer. He's not, I guess, really that bad of a guy. He's just... But again, we talk a lot about this. That yeah, you're shaking your head because he could have had a conversation about his feelings. He could have divorced her. He didn't have to kill her. But then again, does he really know what drawing the picture was gonna do? I think he had to have at that point because he kind of knew what was going on at that point. Um, a couple other things in the episode. You talk about her not being a good cop. The weirdest thing is is her hiding in the back seat of his car. Yeah, that was creepy. <laughs> yeah, like you're a police officer, you're allowed to go up there and be like, hey. I want to ask you a Let's few questions. A yeah. Well, yeah. even I was thinking about this. Even if she's not like on, on like an official capacity investigating this, she could still just stand next to his car and wait for him to come out. <laughs> right? After she literally broke into the car, like they make a point. He said, "How did you get in here?" And she takes out like a coat hanger, so she actually like illegally entered his car. Right. She just sat on his hood or something, and then didn't just hang out in the car. Laid down in the back seat for dramatic effect. <laughs> <laughs> If a police officer ever does that to me, I'm lawyering, uh, lawyer up right away because that's yeah. <laughs> nothing good <laughs> comes from whatever happens next. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, great episode. I really enjoyed it. Uh, really campy and in, in, in straight Tales in the Crypt fashion. And um, like I said, Harry Anderson is just phenomenal. Actually, all the performances in this are really, really good and really strong. And, and like we talk about a lot, how sometimes their performances can really make the episode. I'm not going to say they made this episode, but they definitely enhanced it and they it took kind of a, a goofy story and just ran with it and were able to just kind of chew the seat, chew scenery up and um, made a really good episode. Yeah. I'm a lot like Mondo said, I really, last time I was, I did like a good Tales from the Crypt episode. This one rubbed me in the really in the wrong way. I think I just, the Mildred character was so off putting and so abrasive. That's all I remember for, about this episode. And I saw on the schedule, every time I saw this, I was like, Oh, this episode's going to suck. And I think now being more steeped in Tales from the Crypt and all the background stuff, I enjoyed it much, much more. It's a very meta episode. Being in the Tales from the Crypt office, they don't say EC anywhere, but like there's a little Crypt Keeper puppet that's just hanging around. There's like you see old comic books just laying around. And at one point, and they and there's like kind of a slow pan across his desk. There's a job of the hut toy. And I had that exact same toy that's as a cool. kid. I didn't I catch that. that. Yeah, and yeah. even when they did, when she walks to the newsstand and she mm-hmm. sees, she goes to grab the Tales from comic books. Um, on the back of them was a. Do you guys did you guys catch a video game ad on the back of the comics? Oh uh, no, I didn't. 
I remember the ad vividly, and I could not remember the name of the game, but it's like an Arnold Schwarzenegger-looking gladiator, obviously a takeoff of Conan the Barbarian with a sword. And I'm like, I'm before the night's over, I'm going to have to figure out what game this was because it's going to bug me. But there are also some X-Men comics on that shelf. There was, a, I think, an Astounding Tales comic. So there's some cool stuff in that scene yeah. just to, to pause and look at. Yeah, this this is a there's a ton of Easter eggs in this. So again, there's a lot of people, a lot of the um, character um, Jim Corman of writing comics and illustrations. And every time they did that, they had Mike Vosberg was actually the hands that were doing the drawing. He did all of the comic book covers for that we see in the show. Whenever the Crypt Keeper is introducing the comics, that's the guy. That's the, they got the same guy who did that to do everything in this episode. So that's just a really cool. Um, shout out to him and his his long career of doing artwork for the show. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's so much to dig into here. Um, Harry Anderson, fucking Night Court, like totally oh, yeah. inappropriate show that I watched as a, as like probably I had to be under ten. Oh, like, I, I used to love that show. Me too. I was I was, I was obsessed with that show as a kid. Like mm-hmm. it, it was. I didn't get all the the sex jokes because there's a lot of them. Going back and rewatching parts of it, but like the character of Bull was one of my favorite characters oh. on TV as a kid. Oh, that was awesome. Uh, me too, because I still remember they used to do the uh, the commercials for it with the Bully Bully sound, the Bully Bully song uh-huh. behind it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and who didn't love Bull? And, you know, I've never gone back in my adult life and never watched those old episodes. So uh, uh, I can't, I just don't know how inappropriate it was. But as a kid, those jokes all just flew over my head, so it didn't matter. Right. Because, yeah, yeah. You, like, you, get, you get the judge who's kind of kooky, does magic tricks and he stuff. magic on the, tricks. On the yeah. And you're like, okay, cool. And then John Lurkett, well, he was like what the skeezy lawyer or the uh, yeah. the prosecutor, and um, didn't they do Mercy Post? Yeah, didn't they have at one point a was there a John Lurkett show that was just him? Yes, there was. Okay. Yeah, there was. And then obviously John Lurkett, you know, we're getting off topic here, but famous for the intro to Tales from the Crypt, not Tales from the Crypt, God, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. But he, uh, hey, he was in the intro to Demon Knight. That right. is true. That oh, is true. Yes. Um, and Harry Anson also did, he was also, he was actually on Saturday Night Live a little bit. Um, he was a writer or just a bit player. I was like his IMDb. He was on Cheers as a kind of a prankster, like to antagonize Sam. I was, I was really into Cheers back in the day. And this is the interesting one. He obviously, he was in It. Yeah, he was uh, Richie. came out the same year as this episode. Yeah, Richie Tozer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I was wondering if you guys think that that fridge monster might have been an it reference. Because that's that's in the book. How have you guys read the book? Uh, I, I honestly, I haven't it's, read the book in. So I was in middle school, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we we're talking about inappropriate stuff for people uh, at at a certain age. I read it way before I should have read it too. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene where there's like mon- there's stuff coming out of a fridge, and then there's all these little boys. That, that just make, also makes me think this episode is like probably one of the biggest budgets though of any that, any that we've seen, just for the the sheer amount of actors. And um, sets that they had, they had that whole, um, mm-hmm. like you said, factory or whatever abandoned um, area with the kids are playing. Um, so they really, I think you could tell that they, they put a lot of production money into this episode, which is cool. Uh, what else? So yeah, we have Harry Anderson. Um, the cop is named Lorelai Phelps um, by actress Cynthia Gibb. She was in the show Search for Tomorrow, famed the TV series, and Jack's Back. Which is a movie. So this episode is directed by Rowdy Harrington, who did Row House, Striking Distance, and also Jack's Back, which I guess is a movie about the hundred-year anniversary of Jack the Ripper and some serial killer trying to recreate the Jack the Ripper murders. So there's some synergy there. Now uh, Mildred is played by Colleen Camp, who's had a very long career. Um, she was in Game of Death, uh, one of the one of Bruce Lee's last movies. She was also in Death Game, which was remade into Knock Knock by Eli Roth. And oh, okay. uh, she, was a, she was a producer on that. So I guess they struck up a relationship because she was also in The House with a Clock in Its Walls, another uh, Eli Roth movie. So she's having kind of a career, oh, comeback by career. She's, she's been getting some new stuff lately, which is great. It's kind of crazy that Eli Roth made like one good movie and it somehow made a career off that one movie he made. <laughs> I. Hey, I I joke, but I actually really enjoy hearing him talk about horror and him on podcasts and whatnot. Um, but uh, I really haven't liked anything he did past Cabin Fever. I'll go to bat for Hostel 2. I think that's an amazing black comedy. 
I, I can I can appreciate some Eli Roth, but yeah, <laughs> I can also understand why somebody wouldn't. Yeah, right. you know, uh, you know, Hostel and Hostel too had their moments, but yeah, it's, yeah. I, I wanted mm. to be so much more when those movies came out. Yeah, although I will say the house with the clock in its walls, which is really a kids movie, it's really pretty good. Like yeah. it's a great intro horror for kids. Cool. That's actually good to know because I know people always are asking for um, movies mm-hmm. they can introduce their kids to horror. So uh, yeah, that's cool to know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll check that out and give Eli Roth his uh, his due. There you go. Um, and then just to round out the cast, um, his two coworkers is played by Austin Strauss, who is I guess an artist and a poet. Um, he has done really any acting, but he's known as uh, for doing a lot of illustrations. And then Lance Davis plays another uh, coworker. He was in, he was like a car um, valet in Showgirls. He was in Barton Fink. He was also in Night Court and he was also in Twin Peaks. And then the guy who plays the uh, would be assailants in The Laundromat is played by Richard Frickin Schiff, who's one of my favorite actors. Um, he was in the West Wing. He was in Seven. He was in The Arrival. He was in Lost World, Jurassic Park, House of Lies. He's now in The Good Doctor. And then uh, in the upcoming video game, God of War Ragnarok, he's the voice of Odin. Like, realistically, that was probably the scariest part in that whole episode was him just because she goes, I'm a cop. And he does. He goes, he doesn't even give a shit. Yeah. Or, or yeah. she says something. He goes, now nah, I'm really going to have to hurt you. I'm like, ooh, this guy's a, yeah. this is a mean yeah, she- dude here. <laughs> Yeah, she says yeah. something like, are you going to hurt me? And he's like, I'm afraid so, or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was dark. <laughs> he's a really, really good actor. It was so weird to see him play. He always plays like kind of a kind of a jackass, but like in a good way, like a good meaning jackass. And I've never seen him just go off like this. And it just does not sound like him. It just doesn't really look like him. It's just it's really, really crazy to see him in this. And also, if there's one piece of memorabilia I would want from a TV show, I want that head. Oh, the uh, decapitation? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that was so fucking cool. You know, it's interesting that laundry scene, right? Um, when when the uh, the rest of the police officers come to investigate, they totally don't believe her that it was mm-hmm. a monster, and she's a police officer. She's one of their own, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and it's just one of those and tropes. There's a head on the floor. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those tropes that um, whereas no one ever believes a woman in horror movies, so many mm-hmm. lives would have been saved if people just believed a woman in the horror film, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, I like the score was really good. There were like hints of the Tales of the Crypt theme in the score. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you picked yeah, there, up on that. There was one scene where he's drawing. Yeah. It's like, dun, 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 dun. yeah, I love it. Like, like an orchestra version. This was really yeah. cool. Um, let's see what else I got. Oh, I like that there are cool like page turn tran- uh, transitions, like, uh, like you're flipping through a comic book between scenes. There was just a lot of like, you could tell they went to extra mile, I think, in this episode to like really. Um, filled to the brim. And, and real yeah. f- the, the guy that did the music, David Kate, um, mm-hmm. he did Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. He did Ghost World. If you guys have ever seen that, that's a yeah. really, really uh, great uh, old indie film. Um, but he also did a movie that I loved as a child, Surf Ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I looked it up too um, because there's so many monsters <coughs> and different creatures in this. Uh, the makeup department has five different people uh, doing special effects on this episode. And I looked them up in some of the other credits they have. Men in Black, Star Trek Nemesis, Dark Man, oh, wow. Demolition Man, The Blob, oh, uh, wow. the remake, <laughs> Starship Troopers, Jurassic Park, Sin City, tons of stuff. Yeah, so it's really cool. That we're all, this is obviously like a love letter to like the original like um, EC comic department, and they they really went all out on an episode for them. I thought I mute, muted my mic there when I was coughing. I'm sorry. No, Jody, are, are you okay? Are you are you, are you uh, yeah, surviving I'm over good. there? All right, I'm good. I just uh, yeah got a little caught up here, a little, <laughs> little emotional, got a little weepy. <laughs> All right, Jody, um, so tell us about the original comic. Okay. So this came from Tales from the Crypt, number 31, August 1952. And normally I say, yeah, it's pretty much the same story, but they made some tweaks. Not at all this time. This is a completely different story, all the way down to the name. Instead of Corman's Calamity, it's Cayman? Common? I'm going to go Common. K-A-M-E-N. 
And uh, that's actually the name of one of the illustrators for EC Comics, Jack Common. And I'll get into uh, what he did because it, this, is, this is a behind-the-scenes peek into the world of EC Comics. So instead of the Crypt Keeper introducing this story, uh, we get William Gaines and Al Fieldstein, uh, Bill Gaines being the editor of EC Comics, Fieldstein being one of the managing folks there. They introduce the story. And they say this was set in the early days of EC when they were publishing romance comics, which was a real thing. Uh, before EC got into horror, they were making romance comics because they were the hot item at the time. And uh, they talk about how Jack Kamen or Common comes in. Um, and this comic has a lot of Mad Magazine in it. Uh, I guess it's the meta they were willing to play a little bit. So it shows Bill chasing the secretaries around uh, and... Um, he hires Jack to work at EC because Jack can draw girls uh, for those romance comics. And then on the next page, uh, you find out the romance comics aren't selling as much, so they decide to switch to horror. But Jack is a uh, kind of sweet artist. He draws all these nice lovey-dovey scenes. And so whenever he draws monsters, he draws sweet-looking monsters. He draws, like, adorable vampires, and he just can't make the horrific images that they want to. And so they try to convince him to draw scarier monsters and it shows the rest of the illustrators for EC and they're all just like these ghouls. Like It's like a uh, caricature of them and they all look like psychopaths. And so Jack vows that he's going to draw some real scary monsters. And so he goes home and he's all determined and angry and he yells at his wife and kids and sits up all night drawing a werewolf comic. And then the moon, uh, the full moon rises and... Uh, Jack stands up and says, I feel the urge to kill. And he goes out of the house growling and he attacks somebody. And then he comes home and growls at his family. And it says like he's creeping in on his wife and kids and they start screaming. And then he wakes up. It was all a dream. Uh, the scream was because his wife saw a mouse. And so the next day at EC, he tries to quit because of the horror stuff. And they beg him to stay. And what this comic was, uh, I read about it later, this was really a like story of how EC transitioned from romance comics into horror comics, particularly uh, Jack Common and how he got kind of turned into a horror artist. He actually became one of their most prolific artists and did tons of horror and sci-fi and all this stuff. But the transition was hard for him. Uh, so it, the calamity was having to learn to be a horror artist when previously he had done all this sweet stuff. Uh, it was his first taste of horror, and uh, Common actually drew this comic, and he said it was one of his favorites. It's it's pretty much a uh, autobiographical comic about uh, how he became a horror artist, and so it has nothing to do with this episode at all. Nothing's come into life. I mean, I guess maybe he has this like moment where he kind of goes evil for a moment, but they they took the idea of a EC Comics illustrator. And other than that, they just kind of went with it. Uh, so, yeah, comparison-wise, um, they're two separate stories that have almost nothing to do with each other. Uh, but they're both kind of fun in their own way, especially if you are into EC Comics and kind of know the history. It's kind of cool to get a behind-the-scenes glimpse of what was actually happening uh, in the a publisher's office uh, in the early days of the comic. I love that. That's awesome. That's a, that's a really cool story behind. It. I didn't know that. At like all. it's it's barely a horror story. I guess you know he he kind of pretend thinks he's a werewolf for a while, but it's all a dream. But really, it's just about uh, this dude learning how to write horror comics. Uh, I was actually wondering too, um, because uh, this episode's kind. I love this episode, but it's also um, if you guys have ever seen Tales from the Hood, uh, there's a, a a part of that one. It's an anthology film, obviously. Anybody hasn't seen it. But there's a scene in there where the kid is drawing pictures of monsters, and it's his stepdad, or his, his I'm not know if his father, his stepfather, and he uses the picture to crumple it up and, and damages his stepdad, who obviously, or his dad, whatever, who obviously deserves it. And then um, it kind of reminded me too. It was was it last season on Creep Show, season two, where they had the kid that was obsessed with um, with monsters, and the monsters came to life to defend him against yeah. his. And I, I don't, I'm not saying they were definitely inspired by this but i think they all kind of live in that same that same realm i thought maybe they are and if they are that's kind of cool yeah so every now and then when comics would do that like behind the scenes stuff because marvel would do the same thing sometimes where it would be like uh, i remember an episode or an issue of what if 
it was like, what if the original Mar- Marvel bullpen became the Avengers? And so it was like Jack Kirby was one of the Avengers, and like oh, all wow. of these. It, it was cool, like uh, because it was. I, I grew up with these comics, and so I read a ton of this stuff. And you get to know some of these illustrators, you get to see their style. And so every now and then you get to see behind the scenes and actually see them. So it's not the kind of thing you get all the time, but I always thought it was fun. Yeah. You know what would be cool? At least I I just had this like thought of if they were ever going to do something new with Tales of the Crypt, they could do it set in the EC comic, like in the actual company. So it'd be yeah. like have a meta within the comic book company, and then the writers would go off to do to draw episodes, and that would be each episode. It could, so it could be kind of like Mad Men, but set in the EC Comics oh, office. I almost I was almost thinking kind of like um almost like Love Love Lovecraft Country, uh, based off of someone else's writings, and then just crazy stuff happening around it, or even like go back to one of my favorite films, In the Mouth of Madness. You know, mm-hmm. reality situating itself around what they're writing or something. That'd be kind of cool. Right. So if anybody, yeah. any uh, any producers out there, uh, yeah. maybe up. give us a holler. <laughs> Quick Jason, get a trademark on that or whatever you call it, a cop. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me let me ask you guys a question here. Um, as we're all geeks, uh, and obviously, Jody, you said you were. Jason, were you a comic book fan growing up? Um, not consistently. Like I'd read here and there and, um, like a good friend of mine grew up in high school, worked at a comic book shop. So I would just go there and read whatever's on there, but I was never like into like a specific storyline, but I would just pick up one whenever I found one. How, were there any characters or any, um, specific, not, not specific storylines, maybe, but maybe, um, like X-Men or Avengers or Iron Man that you were into? Um, actually what I was into, cause it was the nineties was a lot of the dark horse stuff, especially the aliens and predators. Yes. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And actually I was really into the novels. That's why I was, that was kind of my jam at that time. There was okay. like spinoff novels about a lot of the mm-hmm. uh, comic, like adaptations of some of the comics. I'm not entirely sure which begot which, um, but yeah, that was kind of, that was really my jam at the time. Did you watch the X-Men cartoon when you were growing up? Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. Fuck yeah. So are, so, we, are we all stoked for X-Men 97? Yes. Yeah. So here's actually, so being Jewish, um, you're not like really, really religious Jews don't watch TV on Saturday. They don't use electricity on Saturday. So we like, we're not, we like use, we drove and stuff. We turn on lights, but we, we, my dad had a rule that we couldn't watch TV on Saturdays. Is that like Shomer Shabbos or whatever? Uh, I know that from the Big Lebowski. Lebowski. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't fucking drive. I don't fucking turn the stove. And I sure as shit don't fucking roll. Right, so we didn't. So we didn't watch TV from like sundown Friday night till sundown Saturday night, but we did. We went to services on Saturday mornings most of the time. So the only times like that you could watch TV and not go to the services were if you're sick. Um, <laughs> but so that was like almost like a holiday in a way. It was like, oh, you're sick, but you get to watch the X Men comic, comic uh, <laughs> like on actual Saturday. I think they syndicated it later, but like when it was first on. Yeah, man, being being sick as a kid was just like this little dose of freedom. You could do whatever you wanted for <laughs> that time that you were home by yourself. Me and Bobby Uecker hanging out all morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe some Sally Jesse Raphael afterwards. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was uh, I used to have that. Song. I, that's one of my ringtones that like I kind of rotate through. I have like a couple different things I rotate through, and that's definitely one of them. Is the um, X Men oh, theme yeah. so good? Uh, so Jody, what were your um? What'd you like growing up? What, what, what were your comics of choice? Yeah, so when I was growing up, my grandpa was a huge collector of just like everything. Like he had beer steins, he had old first edition books, he had. Uh, these like rodeo belt buckles, like all that. He collected tons and tons of stuff. And one of the things he collected was comic books. And so when I would go over to his house, I would get to read these old comics. Mm, that's so and cool. so I got to read all this, like the original run of Spider-Man, like from the sixties. That's all. I was about to ask you what era that's a uh, super yeah. cool, man. Yeah. That, that silver age, you know, Spider-Man and stuff like that. A lot of Marvel stuff, fantastic four, uh, so I, that's what I grew up with. I, I, I love Spider-Man. Uh, Peter Parker was a relatable hero because he was, you know, just a nerd. And kinda, you know, when he was a hero, he was awesome. And when he was a person, he was fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was kind of his whole thing. Like, well, he never knew how to, like, relate to people and, you know, talk to girls yeah. and stuff like that. So I, I liked Peter Parker. And so I grew up with the, that original Spider-Man run and just love that stuff. And I still, like, I still love comics. I don't keep up with them as much as i used to uh just because it's hard (laughs) 
but uh, I, I, I love comic well, books. Well, let me ask you too. Is there something you're reading right now that you think everybody else should be reading? Ah, oh, man. I mean, to put you on the spot there, but it just came off the top of my head. Sorry. Um, let me just think of one I've read recently that I like. Uh, Harrow County is a really cool, um, like, southern gothic horror type thing with witches and stuff in it. That's really worth picking up. All right. It's, it's been finished for a while, so you can probably find, like, the collected edition. I was telling Jason earlier, that's, that's how I do comics now because I can't keep up with the month-to-month issues. But when they get out those, you know, omnibuses or the uh, um, paperbacks, yeah, the paperbacks and stuff like that. Nice. But yeah, Harrow County is really cool. I enjoyed that one a lot. Uh, so for me, growing up, for me, it was all about the X Men. I was a huge yeah. X Men fan growing up, um, and also a big Batman fan. I always loved the kind of, you know, I've always been attracted to the darker things like horror. So Batman mm-hmm. to me was kind of, you know, the, a lot of that early stuff. Um, well, the really, really early stuff. He was a detective. And I actually really like the comics where he's a detective and doing detective work and isn't just putting uh, bad guys in uh, traction. Um, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> but uh, and I like a lot of the newer stuff. A lot of the newer Batman really kind of blurs the lines of horror. Um, you know, with the, I mean, there's a whole series based on the fact that Joker cuts his own face off and mm-hmm. then finds it and like staples it back onto himself. You know, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on with that. Um, I was a big fan of Spawn. Yes. When I was young and, and, and discovered Spawn, yeah. I love Spawn. Um, currently, well, there's also, like, for anybody out there, there's also a lot of cool horror comics out there. Hellraiser had a phenomenal comic run about Christy Cotton becoming the new Hellpriest. And um, uh, Freddy had a lot of fun Freddy comics, a lot of fun Jason comics and Leatherface comics out there. For anybody that's into, you know, oh, I was anyway, if you're if you're listening to us, you're probably into horror somewhat. Um, uh, currently, though, also my favorite comic right now that I've been reading, and I've actually been keeping up on it because they're releasing one new book like every couple months or a few months. It's been the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Last Ronin. Nice. Um, if any of you guys were turtle fans growing up, like I was. The Last Ronin is probably the darkest storyline and just it'll hit you in the feels. Like when I read that first issue, the last few pages gave me goosebumps, which is rare that happens from a comic nowadays. So uh, I'd recommend it to anybody out there. The uh, the Last Ronin series. Nice. All right. Um, anything else we want to talk about this episode? We kind of barreled through it, but there's. It's well, it's really straightforward, which is okay. Like, there's not a lot. Like everything that happens, you see coming. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is okay. And, and nobody likes it when it's just surprise coming. It's way better when you see it coming head head on. Um, so every, it's yeah, it's pretty straightforward. All right, Jody, what do you rate this episode? Yeah, this one. This one was a ton of fun. Um, it it almost feels like a cartoon, <laughs> like it with all the monsters and the bouncy music and everything like that. So I just, or, or like a comic book, I guess. So, you know, it had that feel to it. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to give this one, I can't go all the way to five like I did last time, but I'll do the 4.5 on this one. It's, it's real high up there for me. Mondo. All right. Don't tell me we're going to hive mind this too. Cause I'm going, you know what? Yeah. I'm going four and a half. I can't do quite it. give it five. Um, Cause again, I think like, at the end of the episode, if I have to think it was four and a half or a five, then it's a four and a half. Um, and there's nothing wrong with a four and a half episode. It's amazing. And if you, and if somebody out there watched this and they thought it was a five, good on you. Like, I, I wouldn't argue with you on that. Um, but yeah, I love the I love goofy creature effects. I really do. I loved the pig mm. monster at the end. Absolutely loved how Roger Corman-ish it was. Just kind of over the top. And um, I actually, I also loved the camera shot, the point of view where she has the gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually love, I love that too. Cause it was so different from anything else in the episode. Um, so yeah, four and a half great episode. Everyone. Sh- if you haven't watched it, this is one you should go out of your way to watch. Yeah. I'm torn on this, on where, where to put this one. It's funny because again, I was not looking forward to this episode and I didn't remember it fondly at all. And plot wise, it's not the best plot. Ever, but it's just executed so well. There's so much. So it's so well acted and so well produced, and so many cool monsters. Um, I'm gonna go with the 4.5 too. <laughs> like, Hi, two weeks in a row. I know. I know. Like, was it last week that 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 Jason went? Um, 
That was like two weeks. Yeah, I think you went rogue on us a couple weeks ago. Yeah. That's fine. yeah last week, we were all fives. This, okay. this one, 4.5. Oh, that's right. Last week, we were all fives. You're right. Yeah, if the plot was a little better, it would bump up to a five, but everything else is firing on all cylinders. I, I think in the end, for me, it just comes down to how entertained I was by this episode, mm-hmm. and I was really entertained by it, so that's yeah. that's what bumps it up so high. Alrighty then. Um, let's move on. Where are we? To Oh, Song of the Day, Mondo. Man, Jason, you're just off today. Like, I know. It's, uh... <laughs> it's, a Sunday night. it's a Sunday night fog. Yeah. The, um, song of the day. So uh, this episode is based around um, artwork, obviously. So uh, I want to highlight one of um, a, a guy who's famous for, well, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I should say famous, but he's well known for doing a lot of artwork for a lot of metal bands. And I just love his art. Um, the guy's name is Dan Seagrave. That's just like it sounds. S-E-A Grave. Um a lot of great artwork for a lot of great bands from newer bands to older bands. God, I think he's been doing art for bands now for like 35 years. And just some really cool stuff from uh, bands like Gore Guts to, um, God, uh, Morbid Angel. He did work for them and Tombed. Uh, but the album I want to talk about is my favorite artwork he's ever done. It's the cover of the band Suffocation's Effigy of the Forgotten. Uh, Suffocation was a New York death metal band. Uh, so, ba- so back in the... Here we go. Story time. Back in the early 90s, uh, you basically had Florida death metal bands like Morbid Angel and Deicide. You had New York, which is Suffocation, uh, Incantation, Immolation from uh, all that area, I should say, the New York area. And then you had the bands from Sweden, which I've talked about before. And they all had their own sounds. Um, Suffocation kind of pioneered like the slam sound you kind of hear nowadays with the with the breakneck riffs that make you i always say breakneck riffs not fast ones that make you want to headbang that you can't not headbang to um but they started around 87 88 and then they released their human waste ep which was uh, their first major release um and then they released uh in 1991 effigy at the forgotten uh with uh mike smith and so they had uh two they had and this sounds kind of weird, but they had two uh, African-American members, which is kind of weird for the metal community back then. Um, I shouldn't say weird, but it was, you know, not a whole lot of bands had a- African-American members because it was always, you know, it's let's just be honest. Like they've always seen metal as like a, a, a white person's genre, which I love that we don't see that anymore because now like people realize, oh, I can like any kind of music and we can be inclusive. Um, but Mike Smith on Effigy the Forgotten is probably the drum MVP of the entire world. And Terrence Hobbs is a wonderful guitar player that kind of had made that suffocation sound. And then Frank Mullen, the vocalist, just like, if you ever want to watch someone go on rants on stage, that guy is just the best. Um, but uh, they they broke up in the late 90s after releasing um, Despise the Sun and then came back in 2003. And I was actually fortunate enough to see one of the reunion shows here in Las Vegas where a good friend of mine, a uh, shout out to my buddy Eric Von Forrester, who organized that metal fest, uh, and w- he lost his ass on it. And one day maybe we'll get him on here because he's a dad and he has some really fucking cool stories. Maybe I'll do a podcast with him separately about that night. Uh, but uh, they they came back to Vegas and just one of my favorite shows I've ever seen in my entire life. So our song of the day is off of Effigy of the Forgotten by the band Suffocation. It's going to be Liege of Inveracity. Mm. And I just challenge anyone to listen to this song it'll be on our spotify playlist if you search for dads from the crypt on spotify you will get our podcast and our playlist and i challenge you to listen to the last two minutes of that song and not bang your head in your car when you're listening to it um you will be satisfied thank you mondo all right jody hit us with some trivia okay before i do the trivia i just have to say one thing real quick um you know, when I do all of this talking about the comic or whatever, it's because I do all this research and I have to like read all this stuff and like go to articles and all this. When Mondo talks about this, this is like what a font of knowledge he is. <laughs> he, he just has all of this inside of him. Like this is not something he had to look up. This is just what he knows. Uh, and so uh, before the episode, I literally told them I can't think of a song of the day. And I said, Dan Seagrave. Oh, I got it. <laughs> yeah, this this all of this came off the top of his head. Every name that you heard mentioned, that was just inside of his brain. So, yeah, that's just, I'm impressed. I just got to say. Yeah, I can't remember what day of the week we're recording on, but I can remember who, who Frank Mullen is and what year he joined Suffocation. So, there you go. <laughs> all right, so uh, for trivia here, it's very short this time. 
Uh, so Jack Common, who uh, we talked about earlier, who drew the comic Common's Calamity, uh, who was the subject of Common's Calamity, his son, Dean Common, is the inventor of the Segway. And Whoa. Jack Common drew the patent renderings of the Segway when he submitted the patent. So Holy shit, that's awesome. One of those weird <laughs> little things. Uh, but yeah, so if uh, you ever happen to be on a Segway, first off, what are you doing? Where, where you want a segue? But if you are, uh, just know that you have some connection to EC Comics because uh, the son of one of their most prolific artists invented that segue. Yeah, I mean, actually, um, when I was working in casinos here in Las Vegas, uh, security uh, used segways a lot. Yep, that's it. That's the story. <laughs> More there. That's all it was. No, um, security would use subways to get around the malls and stuff like that. I don't know why. Um, and for a while, targets, at least out here, had um their security on segways patrolling the parking lot. Go figure. Didn't, I'm looking this up. Didn't the um inventor or owner of the segway die going off a cliff or something? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. That's thanks for bringing it down. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm just depressed and bummed. It's cool. Okay, now that's okay. That's a different person. <laughs> okay, let me show you another. Speaking of segways, um, <laughs> Mondo. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember uh, who we interviewed that was calling you the master of the segway. <laughs> that was Jonathan Barkan. That was Bar- like, That was Jonathan Barkan. Okay. <laughs> oh man. All right. Let's see some bad advice. Let's um, let's get festive. Let's get festive. So we have a uh, Thanksgiving coming up, and um, whether you like it or not, everyone has, everyone should have. I'm gonna say should have. So if you're one of those people out there that can't cook, you don't have to be a great cook, but you should have at least one dish that you're really killer at that you can take to someone else's house for Thanksgiving dinner. So I would like to know what is your dish, and I will actually go first on this one. Um, so, well, I'll bring up two things. One year, uh, my wife had to work on one Thanksgiving. And I'm like, don't worry. I got Thanksgiving dinner. So my daughter and I go into the store and buying some stuff. And my daughter straight up mocked me. Like, you're going to handle Thanksgiving dinner? I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I actually cooked pretty well. And then I knocked out of the park. I'm just saying. Did everything myself. Knocked out of the park. My wife listens to this. She's been on the show. She will confirm. I fucking killed it. Um, Brian the turkey came out great. Uh, but my, my, my favorite dish that I make, so this year I'm going to my buddy Tom's house for uh, Thanksgiving because he's got a smoker and he wants to uh, smoke stuff. And I, the fact that I won't get home until Wednesday night is perfect because I'll be making uh, bor- bourbon orange cranberry sauce. Ooh. Oh. And I'll be, I'll be the first person to say cranberry sauce in a can. Fucking love it. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm not knocking. If, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, I only like cranberry sauce in the can. Super cool. I respect that. I love cranberry sauce in the can. Um, but when you make your own, it just takes up a different notch. The bourbon works great with the cranberries, much like the cocktail that I was drinking at the beginning of the show. And uh, the orange zest just gives it a little bit of, of added um, little kick to that. So uh, it, it's a very, very common recipe. Get some vanilla, throw some vanilla beans in there too. And uh, you can make yourself a pretty badass cranberry sauce. That's awesome. Um, I'll go. I'm a tur- I'm the turkey guy. I love I love making the turkey. It's it's one of my pride and joys. Um, and I'm, it's all about the brine, really. Um, so I usually don't have the space to do a wet brine, so I do the dry brine method. And um, my man, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, on- I'm honestly not aware of the dry brine. I did a wet brine a couple years ago when I made my own Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't have a bucket, so I, pu- I bought one of those like Tupperware, not Tupperware, one of those like storage bins from Target yeah. and put it inside of that. Um, What's a dry brine? Well, yeah, so first the wet brine, yeah, where you put it in with a, a water salt mixture. And yeah, I did that one year where I got a, a water cooler and I lined it with like a, br- I got a brine bag and I put it in my garage because it was so cold that, that year. And I just kept putting extra ice in every day. Um, the dry brine is where you actually... You make a mixture of salts. Um, you can do just salt. But I like to do. I like a little sweets. I do salt and, and brown sugar. Ooh. Like uh, was it two parts salt, one part brown sugar, something like that. And you just go in and you just put it directly on the skin of the turkey, mm-hmm. and then you just let it kind of like absorb on its own in kind of an open air environment. 
So um, did you put it inside of like your your fridge open or on oh, the yeah, counter? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, yeah. Obviously, because this is gonna take for at least a day or two. So you don't. Okay. Want to I was well, I wasn't sure how long it was gonna take because yeah, you won't leave turkey on your counter because then you'd be running afoul. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um. Yeah. So I like to, I do the dry brine and then uh, where I leave it in the fridge for at least a couple of days and like the skin like you can tell the skin like gets tightened and the the meat gets a little you can tell there's 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 something happening there. And then um, when I make it, I pull it out, and, you know, you kind of wipe, wipe it all down because you don't want it to be too salty. And then what I like to do is I like to make a, a compound butter. Where you take a butter, um, you get soft, you mix in a little more salt, the pepper, whatever seasonings you want. I like it. Uh, what I really like is lemon zest Ooh. Um, to give it some citrus brightness. And whatever seasonings you want, maybe some, again, maybe a little sugar. Um, and then I take that butter, you mix it all together. So it's like incorporated butter. And then I like to go underneath the skin. It freaks my wife out mm-hmm. when I do this. But I like to get underneath the skin. I I, I always like to have someone take a picture where I got my hand up a chicken or a turkey. Um, and you rub down the breast like very liberally where there's like butter pockets all in the breast. Do you, and then, do you, um, get, do you get your whole hand in there? Like all five fingers oh, and, yeah. the, and the thumb? Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I've got my fist in it. I'm okay. fisting the turkey. Um, Jason, I used Jason, wear, please, yeah. like, let's keep this PG here, guy. <laughs> I used to wear like a, a plastic, like a cooking glove. Um, we have, like, well, just disposable plastic gloves. Protection is very important when you're <laughs> when you're fisting. Yes. Um, and I cut my nails too. But anyway, regardless, <laughs> I just killed Mondo. Oh, I, I love when Jason just goes over the top. <laughs> yeah. No, I like to, and I'll even like pop out the leg and the thigh. Like if you do it, if you cut it right, you can pop out the joint. Mm-hmm. You can rub that down. Then you pop it back in, um, and then you know do the skin as much as you want. And then just do like I have a I, for our wedding. We actually got like this really cool cooking set, pots and pans, and one of them has like a roaster with like a rack and everything. It's perfect for Thanksgiving. Um, you know, cook it on the lower. I like to cook it lower for longer. Um, it just the only bad part is you know it's harder to gauge when it's exactly when it's gonna be done. So it usually drives my wife a little nuts waiting for it. Um, but my oh also in the in the pan, you should put liquid. I like to do again like an apple cider, apple juice, um, just to give it a little more flavoring. And then the drippings will drip into that. And you can make my wife likes to make a roux and the gravy mm-hmm. straight from that. So mm-hmm. that's that's our deal. I'm cutting this segment, and it, this goes on our only dad's account. <laughs> well, this is just a preview a taste of our only dads you can actually i'll post pictures of my hand fisting the turkey on our only dad's account yeah so just just to show you the uh, synergy that we have going on here between the three of us my two things that i bring every year the turkey the cranberry sauce Th- that those are my two things and i was uh, hoping you'd say you bring the ruckus but it's okay <laughs> Jason, yeah. So I got converted to the dry brine a few years ago. Uh, after trying, I've done everything. I've tried every different version of it because I like experimenting and trying new things in the kitchen. Who doesn't like trying new things in the kitchen? It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I knew as I was saying it that it was going to come out that way. But you know, well, the good thing is, if you don't like something, you don't have to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you have to try a little bit, just a tip. And, All right, so anyway, turkey. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I do the dry brine, too, and I, I do mine a little bit different uh, because I don't follow recipes for the most part. Like uh, when I'm doing seasonings and stuff like that, it's a little pinch of this, a little pinch of that, whatever's in the cabinet, whatever I feel like at that moment. Uh, but uh, so I, I do the dry brine and I do the dry brine actually up underneath the skin onto the the breast itself with the brine. Uh, and then, you know, kind of brush some of that off, but I like the skin to get real crispy. I'm, I'm, I'm a dry Turkey fan. I would rather have the Turkey a little, well, cause so I, I, I was watching something the other night that had all these vintage Thanksgiving ads and every Turkey they cut into was like drippy wet and it was upsetting to me. Yeah. Like I, I like my turkey to be a little dry, and then you put some gravy on it, and that that makes up for the dryness. Or you well, use. Do you like yeah. to be a little dry or like Ben Shapiro dry? Okay. <laughs> little, little. Okay. So yeah, those turkeys using those ad advertisements, they've like injected the turkey with water. That's not natural. That, that turkey no. is is gross. It's yeah. not cooked. It's if you ever want, turkey. if you ever want your turkey to be really dry, just set them in front of a uh, a YouTube video of Ben Shapiro, and it'll 
It'll shrink right up. But I think it's up a good point. When you're when you're seasoning, again, the skin is like a barrier. If you if you just season the skin, it's not gonna get into the meat. Uh, you're gonna have flavorless meat. So you need to get it underneath. You gotta get it up in every crevice of that turkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and I also do the cranberry sauce and I do a homemade cranberry sauce. Mine, mine has a ton of like different chopped up fruits in it. It's got apples and pears and oranges. Um, I do put a little bourbon in there sometimes, sometimes not. Just kind of depends on what I've got around at the time. Again, I, I barely follow recipes. I just flavor it as I see fit at the moment. It, it, you know, uh, but I respect that. But like I have a very analytical brain. And sure. you guys as a wife, like I get I, I'll straight up like if I think I put in a third of a teaspoon instead of a half, like I immediately start sweating and I'm worried yeah. and I'm full of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I tend to do most of the cooking around our house, so I do it a lot. And so I've, I've gotten kind of loose with it over time. Uh, but those are my two things I bring, but that's like neither of them are actually my favorite thing to eat at Thanksgiving. My favorite Thanksgiving food is the dressing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm obsessed with just a big pile of like seasoned bread, sage and stuff in it. Do you make your own? Uh, When I make it. Yeah. I really, I want my mom to make it because she's the one who makes the dressing that I look forward to. But yeah, I I make it my own when I want to. Is she also a uh, dad's on the crypt fan? I don't know. Oh, just your dad. So, uh, so what we need, uh, Mr. Webster, if you're listening to us, we need you to get us, uh, that recipe for dressing. Well, I have a feeling it's probably made in much the same way that I make things. Is there was a general idea that is followed, and then everything else is made up <laughs> off that top after that, which is why it can't be duplicated. This is a one in a kind recipe because uh, nobody knows how to make it again. Mm. I respect this. Yeah, I love pie? I love Thanksgiving food. Like there, there have been years that it's november 2nd and we just make a full thanksgiving meal just because because i like hey. all the food so much oh my god yeah so uh i don't know why we don't do this year round honestly <laughs> like why in may am i not making just a freaking turkey and cranberry sauce in the middle of may uh, yeah, well yeah. actually um we for my wedding my we did a thanksgiving meal for our wedding which was in june but we like mm-hmm. that's like our favorite holiday yeah so we say, you know what? We'll just have there's a turkey option. It's like we'll just make a Thanksgiving wedding. Well, I want to eat this stuff year round. Uh, so I honestly have a reason for this. At least in my opinion, is like I love that. That's the one day a year I make my good cranberry sauce. It's the one day a year I make I I eat the the straight turkey. It's a one day a year. Uh, I kind of like that because it, it, it for me at least it means it's still special. Sure, like, like I there's, get that. There's certain things that I'm I'm kind of like that with that. The more I. Uh, the more I do it, the less special it feels to me. And I want that to always feel special. I mean, I don't, I don't want it weekly, but maybe like quarterly, you know, like every, every three months or so just have like a big old Turkey roasted. That, yeah, that'd well, be good. The turkeys are so cheap for Thanksgiving. That I, I usually, especially well, at least when, before the kids are born, we have enough fr- uh, freeze, freezer space where I buy like two or three turkeys. Mm-hmm. I make one for Thanksgiving and then like six months or whatever. At some point I would just make an excuse like, Pick a day, like, okay, we're having a Thanksgiving meal this day, and then, you know, leftovers. I saw some meme where it was like, last year, turkeys were $30. This is either $110. I'm like, where the fuck are you buying your turkey from? <laughs> That's $110 no. for a turkey. Yeah. Have they gone up in price? Yes. Not that extreme. Um, yeah. I, I do like to, and maybe, you know, let's save this for next week. But next week, let's talk about our favorite um, leftovers. Because everyone's oh. got their leftover recipes. And that's mm-hmm. some of my favorite stuff in the world. But we'll uh, uh, we'll keep you uh, waiting in anticipation for next week on that one. Nice. All right. Well, I think that wraps everything up. Um, next week, we'll be discussing Lower Birth. Um, we'd really appreciate it if you would give us a rating or review on iTunes. And we're about to, before you think, before you thank us, um, if you guys do have any questions for dad advice or anything you want us to talk about, please, please, please uh, tweet us, email us, uh, get a hold of us somehow, uh, carrier pigeon, snail mail. Um, we'll give Jason's address out at the end of the show. Uh, you, can, you can show up at, show his, up house, at his door. Show up at yeah. his house with a megaphone and yell your questions. But if you guys do have any questions, though, we, we and, or any feedback for us, we, we'd love to hear it. Okay. And with that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. Good night. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> no, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> Night, nice.